Welcome to Redemption Hill Church. It really is nice to see so many new faces. And uh, if you've been tracking with us either here in person or online, then you know that last week we, we ended a series called Cultivate where we were examining the seven embodied values of Redemption Hill Church. And this week is kind of a transition between that series and a new one which will begin next week. And we're entitling that new series Context versus Conjecture. And and somebody told me I need to define conjecture. So I'm just going to take a stab at it. Conjecture, let me try to be as plain as I can, is just something that's pretty much made up. Conjured up or whatever the case is. I like to think of it as half truths and man-made ideas and promises that never quite deliver what they promise because they're not really based on the truth of God's Word. And so we're going to be taking anywhere from four to six weeks beginning next Sunday to walk through some passages of the Scripture that are quite often taken out of context and made to mean something other than what God intended when He gave us those very same words. And so I hope that you'll come back and be with us during those four to six weeks and at the very least listen online to keep up with us because I think it's going to be very helpful. This week I intend for, for this message to be sort of a transitional message between these two series. And even though I call the next series a new one, it really is something that grows out of the last series that we did, um, specifically the message dealing with the third value of Redemption Hill Church, surrendering to the Word of God. Surrendering to the Word of God. And so as we move from that to context versus conjecture, I have decided to entitle today's message, Surrendering to the Word in Context. Surrendering to the Word in Context because as most of us are aware, There is a world of difference between surrendering to the Word as many people understand the Word of God and and apply that and surrendering to the actual Word of God as He gave it to us in context in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 is toward the end of the Bible. You could actually start in Revelation or the maps and go backward and you'd get there pretty quickly. And you can also pre-mark your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, which is the first book of the New Testament. If I have time, I'll go back to Matthew chapter 4 and say a few things from there as well. And I did not tell you my name. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Raymond. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to serve all of you in that capacity. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 8. I'm going to read... Verses 8 and 9, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 15 and read all the way through to the end of the letter. So let's, let's pray. Lord, I need your help. I need your help. So I'm just asking that you would help me to be clear, to be concise, to be faithful to you and to the text, and, and just helpful to everybody who's gathered here to hear you speak through people like, like me. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Peter knew he did not have much longer to live when he was writing these words. We don't know exactly how much longer he lived, but we know that he was at least aware of the fact that he did not have much time. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, Peter said this, I think that it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as Our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And so Peter was using, as it were, his last biblical breath to say some things that to him were of 
utmost importance for Christians to remember? What sort of things fit into that category for Peter? That's what we're going to read today. That's what we're going to read today. So look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 on down. In verse 8, Peter says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 15, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter says with his last breath, be careful. People are going to twist the Scripture and try to get you to be carried away with their error. There are things in Paul's letters which are hard to understand. People are going to twist them just like they twist stuff in the other Scriptures. And if you're not careful, you're going to be carried away with their error. Last breath. Christians, be careful. You live in a world where there is much conjecture, much spinning and twisting of the Word into things that it was never intended to mean. And and many people are basing their lives not on the truth of God, but upon conjecture which cannot deliver the hope that we profess and for which we wait. And, And Peter says, be careful. So, with the rest of our time today, here's what I want to do. I want to answer three questions. Number one, why are we going through this series, Context versus Conjecture, over the next four to six weeks? Number two, What exactly did Peter mean when he said that people were twisting the Word of God? And number three, how can you and I as a church, how can we avoid being carried away by error? Those three. So let's take them one at a time. Number one. Question number one. Why are we going through this series entitled Context versus Conjecture? I've alluded to it already, but what I want to do is take some time to demonstrate to you that Everything we do here as a church is done because of something we see in the Scripture. We lead this church biblically, and I I hope you appreciate that. Every single one of the reasons I'm about to give you for why we're going through this series comes right out of the text that we just read. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to give you three reasons why we're going through this series together. The first one comes right here in verse 16. Peter says there are some things in Paul's letters which are hard to understand. That's reason number one. The reason you and I are going to take some time over the next four to six weeks 
to study how and why we need to keep Scripture in context is because just as it was true in Peter's day, there are some things still in the Bible which are hard for us to understand. See, and here's what I think is really impressive about that. Peter said that about Paul's original audience. Paul wrote some letters about 2,000 years ago, and the original audience for whom those, or, or the original audience that received those letters read those letters and said, God, this stuff is kind of hard to understand. I mean, they lived at that time. They lived in that culture, and, and they read the, the Scriptures, and they said, this stuff is, is kind of hard. You see, I skipped some verses in between verses 10 and 14 that talked about the return of the Lord and the, the destruction of this present world, which is reserved by the Word of God for fire and the judgment of the ungodly and all these things. And I, I skipped that partly because I didn't want to scare all of you again. I did that last time. But also because I just wanted to, to get through that text quickly and show you the context of what we were looking for. But there were some things that were not a part of the everyday experience of Paul's audience. And he began to write about Jesus' return. And he began to write about the judgment of God and the eternal kingdom of God. And this world being burned up by fire and judged in one sense. And people are thinking, what does that mean? That it really physically won't be here? And they, they never discerned from Second Peter chapter 3. I didn't read it, but they didn't discern that... He also said there was another world at one time, at the time of Noah, which then existed, but perished when it was flooded with water. And the world didn't disappear when it perished, but then he speaks in verse 7 about the world, or the heavens and the earth, which now exist. So he says that in relation to the world that existed at the time of Noah, you can read this for yourself in 2 Peter 3, the world in which we live right now, the heavens and the earth in which we live, is new compared to the one that Noah lived in. Before the flood. Then he lived in the new one after the flood. You all with me? So maybe this new heavens and new earth that we're hoping for and looking for and waiting for is not so much that this sky is going to roll up like a scroll and the earth is going to disappear. Maybe it's just going to become new by the word of God the way that the world became new by the word of God when Noah was there. See how that works? What I just did was I kept the scripture in context. Isn't that interesting? Just kept it in context, and it did away with, with hundreds of years of arguments in the church about the new heavens and the new earth. Just a little bit of Scripture. Just a, a few lines. Right? So that's how this works. All right, so we're going we're gonna to do this because there are still, number one, some things which are hard to understand in the Scripture. And I think those things, the hard things in the Scripture are now increased, not decreased for us, because in addition to all the things that are still not part of our everyday experience, about the world to come, we now have to deal with the fact that we are thousands of years and perhaps a few steps removed from the culture and the time that Paul wrote these things. And so, so we need to study even more than they did. So number one, we're going to do this series because there are still things in the Bible which are hard to understand. Reason number two comes again from verse 16. Not only are there some things in the Bible which are still hard to understand, but Peter goes on, and he says, these things are things which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. You can see that in verse 16. The ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And Chris DeRocco pointed this out on Wednesday night. It's interesting that Peter says that people are twisting things in Paul's letters and they do the same thing to the other scriptures. So in Peter's mind, 
what Paul wrote was Scripture. You all follow that logic? If they're twisting the other Scriptures, then what Paul wrote is Scripture. And those are other Scriptures. Scriptures. Other Scriptures. You get it? So, a lot of people will tell you, if you listen to these Bible critics, they'll tell you that the writings of Paul weren't accepted as Scripture until about the 3rd or 4th century A.D., and they, they feel really smart when they say stuff like that. But again... Just a little word from the Bible. No, Peter said that's Scripture. We use that in our gatherings. It's Scripture. So that wasn't my point. Let me get back to what it was. The second reason we're going through this series is because there are not only things in the Bible which are still hard to understand, but there are still, in our day, ignorant and unstable people. Hopefully, hopefully those labels are not characteristic of us. I mean, I'm not saying that we will never take a scripture out of context or or whatever the case, but there are some people about whom it is characteristic that they are ignorant and unstable and they are twisting the scriptures to their own destruction. I will not name names today because Peter does not name names. If we do this again, reading one of Paul's letters, that might change. Paul is all about he, he, his response to name it and claim it is name them and shame them. Paul is, Paul is he's okay with that. I mean, there are people who have been immortalized as twisters, Bible twisters. Man, they're right in Paul's letters. But there are some things that are hard to understand, and we're still in the day where people are unstable and ignorant and twisting the Word of God. You've seen some of them on TV. You've heard some of them on the radio. You've, you've sat in churches with many of them. I hope you don't have that opinion of what goes on here. We're trying our best. Pray for us if, if that's how you feel. Talk to us, please. But this, this ignorance and, 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 and instability is twisting the Scripture. And that's one of the reasons we have to continue to search these things out and to learn what it means and looks like to keep Scripture in context. Number three, the third reason we're going to do this series is because Peter gives his audience a warning, and that warning is still pertinent and applicable to us. That warning is this in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. Knowing what? Knowing that there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand and that ignorant and unstable people are twisting them to their own destruction. Knowing this beforehand, take care. Take care. Now, that warning does not make sense if the people to whom Peter is speaking are not susceptible to being carried away by what is going on. If they are not being exposed to this twisting of Scripture and this mishandling of Scripture, the warning doesn't even make sense because they would be protected and safe. But God has left them in a world where all this is going on. And He's not jumping up out of his seat in heaven and Jesus isn't coming back and saying, oh no, they're twisting the Bible. i got to get there real quick. He's just saying, no, I, I gave them my word. I gave them each other in the church. I gave them the Spirit. Take care. Pastors, do, do a series in your church called Context versus Conjecture. Teach your people how to take care that they not be carried away through error. We are doing this series for the next four to six weeks because, again, here they are, number one, There are still some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Number two, there are still ignorant and unstable people. And when I say that, I mean that this is characteristic of them. They are ignorant and unstable regarding the Word, and they are twisting the Word to their own destruction. And number three, if we are not careful, we too will be carried away with their error. 
So if you ask me, question number one, why are we going to do these series? There you have it. We're going to do the series because of all those things that we just mentioned. Second question we want to answer today is what does it mean? What does Peter really mean when he says that people are twisting the Scriptures? This was very interesting. I had to look this up. Peter uses a word that is not found anywhere else in the Bible, anywhere else in the, in the New Testament. This word twist, if you go back to the original Greek language that was translated into English, is the verb strebloo. Now that may not mean anything to you yet, but a strebel was an ancient or medieval wooden device that was used to torture people. So to strebloo was to put someone on this wooden device to be tormented. And what they would do is, that, this is a little bit graphic, but stick with me because there is, God does redeem this at the end of everything. They would put these people on this wooden device and they would lay them out lengthwise. They would fasten their feet to one end and there was a movable end on the other one to which they fastened their, their wrists and their hands. And they would stretch the bodies of these victims out. Sometimes history tells us to the point where this person actually was stretched almost to an entire foot. In length, I mean, so somebody like me who's 5 feet 10 would be stretched to almost 6 feet 10. And after being handled that way, the muscles obviously would be stretched to a certain point that they were beyond repair. They were no longer able to contract and the victim was disabled. And this was a torture device. Peter uses that word to talk about what people are doing to the Scripture. They are putting the Scripture to the rack. And they are, watch this, this is, this is even more graphic, but what would happen is if this thing happened long enough and they stretched this body out, you, you, got, you get the idea of what would happen. And so what Peter is saying is, look, some people are putting the Scripture to the rack to such a degree that a piece of this thing is being so violently pulled upon that it actually becomes detached from the whole context to which it belongs. Do you get the picture that Peter is trying to give people? You would miss that if you read it in English, but he says they are strebloowing the Scripture. And here's the interesting thing. No one who strebloos, everybody's going to use this word after a bit. No one who strebloos the Scripture thinks that he or she is strebloowing the Scripture. They don't say, hey, come here, hey, let me show you, let me, hey, come here, let's put this Scripture to the rack. Look at what, no, they say this. They say, look, look at what God showed me. Look at this great revelation that nobody in the 2,000-year history of the church has ever been able to figure out. And look, God showed it to me. God showed it to me. The new revelation. The word of the Lord for 2009. Are you kidding me? The word of the Lord for 2009. You have got to be kidding me. Are we supposed to get our Bibles out and stick your word of the Lord for 2009 in our book? You say that, you better start reading the Bible. The word of the Lord for 2009. Are you all with me? I, I know that contradicts some Christian experience. I understand that. But that's why we're here. We're here to learn what things in Christian experience need to be contradicted by the Bible. Are you all with me? For all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, which means correcting error, 
or, or actually pointing out error, then correcting, which means replacing error with truth, and then training in righteousness, which means the consistent application of that truth unto, godly, unto godliness and character. That's why we're here. So don't, don't feel bad if, if, like me, you have had some Christian experience that needs to be corrected by the Bible. That's, that's all of our stories. Are you all with me? So you can take a sigh of relief. You can say, oh, he's not trying to point me out and make me feel bad. That's all of us. That's why God leaves the Bible here and doesn't just say, here, take a quick look. Okay, and let me put it back. We're going to need this thing as we continue to go, okay? So God is not flashing the Bible at people. Keep this thing. I forget where I was. Okay, streblo-owing. So let me, let me continue to work with this. We don't want to streblo-o the Bible and to, to detach something from the whole to which it belongs. Okay, and, and Peter is saying, be very careful that this does not happen to you. Gosh, I had a point that I can't remember. Nobody else knows it either, huh? <laughs> well, the twisting thing, I, oh yes, the, people don't they, don't, they don't know that they're doing this. This is very important. To them, it's just another revelation, but I, I just wanted to say, if you could see, if you could see what was going on in the spirit, what they're really saying is, girl, come, o- come, come over here. Look at what the Lord showed me. Twist, come do the twist with me. Don't go with them. Don't go with them. We don't want to twist the scripture. Three questions. Three questions. The second question is, why does Peter use this word twist and what exactly does he mean? Now you know. Now you know. People are strebloing the Bible to their own destruction. The third question is this. How can you and I as a church avoid being carried away with error? So number one, why are we going through this series? Because of the three things we mentioned. Number two, what did Peter mean when he said twist the scripture? He meant strebloo, detaching something from the whole context to which it belongs. Number three, how can you and I avoid being taken away with error? The answer is here again. The answer is here again. 2 Peter chapter 3. When you hear something like this, the temptation is to become scared and to say, well, I'm just not going to touch the Bible or certainly not the difficult parts of it because I don't want to strebloo the Bible and become guilty of that. So I'll just kind of avoid that and leave that to experts, right? There's a tendency to, to keep it safe by, by avoiding truth, but that's not what Peter says here. Notice what Peter says. After warning them, take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He then tells them in verse 18 how we might begin to go about maintaining our stability such that we have some weight and substance to us, some roots of truth that keep us from being blown away by error. And so he says to close the letter out in verse 18, but instead of letting that happen to you, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is not evangelical church terminology. It's straight out of the Bible. Believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it comes right out of the Bible. But do you notice what Peter says here? I know what you're thinking. You might be scared to go back and read the Bible or apply the Bible. And I know some of you are feeling that right now because I felt it as I studied this. And, and verse 18 hit me and it, it comforted me. And Peter said, look, even though I've spoken this way, don't try to avoid the hard things of the Bible. Don't feel condemned because there are things in there you don't understand. That is just normal Christian experience. Peter says instead... Figure out how, by the grace of God, together as a church, figure out how to approach 
the difficult things in the Bible in such a way that you do not lose, but rather maintain your stability and not get carried away with the error of lawless men who streblo this thing. The opposite of being carried away by the error of lawless men who are going to destruction is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is what Peter calls us to as a church, and that is why we as pastors are calling Redemption Hill Church to this next series so that we might learn how to read and apply Scripture in its God-given context. Are you all with me? What we're doing is very important. This is not just the, again, as Robert says, this is not just you know, Chris, Robert, and myself sitting in the office thinking, how can we have some fun with the church? This is very important. We're talking about maintaining our stability through life as we live out this, this thing as Christians. And let me show you one of the things that I, I think is very helpful when you look at this. Let me use Jesus as an example for a minute in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days and nights in in the wilderness after being baptized. In Matthew chapter 4, I only put verses 5 to 7 up there. Wait for me for a bit. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 as well and, and run right into that. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Anybody want to be led by the Spirit? Was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow. Wow led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Maybe, maybe God's ways are higher than our ways. I don't know. Let's, let's keep reading. Led by the Spirit. Now, don't blame the Spirit for what you like to do. That's not, that's not what we're saying here. Jesus was led by the Spirit. This, this is a historically unique person and event. Jesus being led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. I think it's really interesting in the Lord's Prayer that he says, pray this way, lead us not into temptation. I think it's really interesting. I think it's born out of this experience. Uh, let, me, let me keep reading. I'll show you why else I think that. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray this way. Are you all with me? I think Jesus was so impacted by this experience where the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil that when his disciples ask us, Lord, teach us how to pray. How might we talk to God to find the help that we need on a daily basis? Jesus said, ask God for daily provision. Because if you're without it, it's, it's awfully tempting to use your power and your relationship with God for your own purposes and means. Ask God to provide. Jesus keeps going. Watch, watch the next temptation. This is the one I'm after. Verse 5, then the devil, failing that time, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is on a very high hill. This is a high point. And he looks at Jesus and says this, okay, if you're the son of God, Throw yourself down. For, watch the nature of this temptation now. Throw yourself down for what? It is written. And then he quotes Psalm 91. 
he tempts Jesus with scripture out of context. It's not just that ignorant and unstable men are streblooing the scripture. There's always a demonic voice behind it. Just sounds like revelation to many people. I watch TV and I see them doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm crying out, no. I want to jump through the screen. When I was younger, I wanted to choke the guy who was doing that. I was like, no. Don't do that to God's people. Just so that they can throw money at your feet. Or, or buy your prayer cloth or, or water from the Jordan that you got out of your sink. Don't, don't do that to God's people. I won't name names. But you know who I'm talking about. Y'all may as well say amen. If you are the son of God, jump. Throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And it's so interesting that even in the immediate context of Psalm 91, he skips a little part. And I didn't put this in there, but... I'm going to read it directly out of Psalm 91. Because he skips this little thing right here where it says, verse 11, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Ah. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus thought, well, I I need to be guarded in all my ways. Sorry, devil. I'm not twisting with you. I need to be guarded in all my ways. See, there was something about the context that the devil intentionally took out. He knew it. He knew it was there. Took it out. And watch what's going on here because I want you to feel the impact of the nature of this temptation. See, with Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan says, you will not surely die. Eat. You will not surely die because God has lied to you. Eat. You will not surely die because God has lied to you. Ignore the word of God. Turn in the opposite direction. With Jesus, he says, jump. You will not surely die unless God has lied to you. Act on the word. You're a Christian, right? Have some faith. Act on the word. Out of context. Same thing will happen to you. Destruction. Reality is no respecter of persons. It doesn't care where you get your deception from, outside of the Bible or inside of the Bible. Does not care. It has no problem bringing destruction to people whose deception is of a Christian variety. No problem. We need truth, which is the scripture in context. Satan's greatest weapon against the church, one of his greatest weapons, is to take the Bible out of context and to tell you to act on it. Do you know why? Because he knows that's where your guard is down. He knows that. He knows that's where your guard is down. You'll say, this is the word of God. Let me act on it. So somebody's understanding of faith, and I'll end with this, somebody's understanding of faith is, if I'm a real Christian and I have enough faith, I'll never get sick. I don't care how many people claim to be Christians and die. The Bible says that a thousand may fall at my right hand or 10,000 at my right hand, but, but it will not fall upon me. So I have enough faith and I'll never get sick. And then when I do get sick, that point, if I somehow had a problem with my faith and I did get sick, now at least I need to have enough faith to make sure I can just get healing on demand and I'll make God 
do something that, that, that I want him to do. <laughs> Am I, listen, when I get sick, I pray to God to heal me. I don't want you all to misunderstand this. I, I pray to God to heal other people. Lauren has a friend that, that's suffering from cancer and is probably in the last days of her life right now that she had a class with. I was praying all last night and this morning, Lord, heal that girl of cancer. Get that thing out of her body. It is contrary to the way you created the world in the beginning before the fall. Get that thing out of her body. And I have no problem saying that. And if that person dies, I have no problem saying to God, Lord, be praised for what you have chosen to do. I have absolutely no problem with both of those things. But see, if you're the kind of Christian, and we'll deal with this at some point, if you're saying, if I just have enough faith, I'll never get sick, or if I do get sick, if I just have enough faith, then I'll definitely be healed, you're going you're to have a big problem with life. You're going to have a huge problem with reality. You are basing your life on something that is not the truth of God in context. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I forget exactly where this is, but I think it's in 2 Corinthians, maybe chapter 4. Though this outer man is wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Folks, that is a statement of fact. This outer man, I don't care what you think about it. I don't care how much times you go, or how many, I should say, how many times you go to Gold's Gym. I don't care what you do. This outer man is wasting away. You're going to die. At some point, your body is not intended to deliver you into God's eternal kingdom, and it is going to waste away. Your theology will not be able to stop that. Is that okay? Can I say that? Yet inwardly, you are being renewed day by day if you belong to Jesus Christ. And while I mention Jesus Christ, can I say this? The interesting thing is that while many people are strebloing the Word of God and putting the Word, as it were, on the rack to be tortured, there was a time when God Himself put the living Word on a wooden device to be tortured. Hear me. When he did that, the result was not our destruction. Those who put the written word on the rack to be tortured did so to their own destruction. When God himself put the living word, Jesus Christ, on a wooden device to be tortured, the cross, the result is salvation for those who believe. If you are here, or you are listening to me, and you have not come to Christ, the most important thing I can say today is you still have time. Come to Christ. What hinders you? Come to Christ. Come today. Don't wait. Jesus is delaying his return and the Bible says to count the patience of our Lord in delaying his return as salvation. But your delay does not produce the same result. Come to Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would seal these words that we've spoken. Amen.